He stands on the side of the pool, not sure that he can really trust. Can I jump in the water? It's scary. But there's mama and she's smiling her face. She goes, you can make it. You can do it. Just jump. I'll catch you. I got you. And so with a, just some timid and a little bit of fear, he jumps in and sure enough, he gets in the water, but mom catches him and it's all good. And pretty soon, after a few times in doing this, it opens up a whole new world, uh, a whole new world of enjoyment, a whole new world of just having fun. And all of us have had those moments in our lives, maybe as little kids. I remember um, the first time I rode a bike, my older brother, John, was the one who taught me how to ride a bike. And I was scared because I thought I was going to fall. But he ran along the side of the, of, the, of the bike with me and he said, I got you. I'll, I'll catch you. If you start to fall over, I'll get you. And he, and he was there for me. And we've all had those things. I, I remember sitting next to people on an airplane one time and they were, it was obviously the first time they'd ever flown. And they were so nervous. And, and I said, have you, have you ever flown before? And they said, no, this is my first time. I said, would you mind, would you like me to pray for, for you? I'm a pastor. And they said, that'd be great. And, and I prayed for them. And you know what? They, 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 they kind of had this reassurance and this confidence and we were okay. And, and again and again and again in those times in our lives when we're like, we're not sure, we're uncertain. And yet there's this reassurance that comes from somewhere, somehow, maybe the first time you drive a car, whatever it might be, first time you give a public speech, all those things, you need that confidence and that reassurance. But once you have it, then you're ready to go. Then you're ready to have fun. Then you're ready to do something. Well, today we come to a passage of scripture uh, in the book of Revelation that I believe gives us incredible confidence and reassurance. Um, this whole series in Revelation, we've called it Fearless and Faithful. And today I want to talk about this question. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? What would you attempt if you knew ultimately you were going to win? That's really the message today. So I want you to start thinking about that and, 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 and looking at following Jesus and, and following Christ in a, in a tough situation, in a, in a culture that's sometimes hostile and, and attempting and following him in ways that are kind of scary sometimes, or maybe we feel like the pressure of, of compromise or the temptations, they come our way, or maybe it's just following along with everything, the road to success. But God's coming and whispering in our ears, trust me, I got you. And then we came to last week and we got these unholy trinity uh, there was the dragon Satan, uh, and then he inspires this antichrist figure, this beast from the sea, and then this false prophet who who uh, is up, is giving all sorts of support to this antichrist figure. And the the God, uh, John's letter to John uh, to the people of God in in First John chapter two verse eighteen says, "And if you have heard that antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists." Have come. So yeah, there's going to be a, an Antichrist, capital A, in the last, last days, but they've been happening all throughout history. And it's this battle that we are waging against the forces of darkness. And the incredible encouragement of the people of God is keep on persevering, keep on going after it, keep on trusting Jesus. So today we come to a really graphic, um, another graphic uh, imagery and symbolism. And, and, and it depicts three things, historical realities. And the historical reality we're going to see today is that Christians face intense opposition and temptation to compromise in first century Roman Empire. And they were tempted to throw in the towel and just go along. 
and yet they're going to get being given encouragement and reassurance today. Second, we're going to come to future events. Um, and what we learn here is, yeah, there's going to be an unholy trinity that is, we're always battling against those anti-Christian forces, the, the, the governments and rulers and movements and ideologies that compete for our allegiance. And there's, there's the propaganda that we hear constantly and often deceptively. We push against that. But here's the thing that we're going to learn today. There will be sweet victory for God's people and just judgment against the ungodly in the last, last days. That's the future. And if you'd like to learn more about that, come to our Digging Deeper session uh, on Monday night at 6.30 p.m. in the chapel. Okay, lastly, focus today is on spiritual truths. And here, here's the spiritual truth we're going to learn today. The good news of Jesus is that God redeems us to a beautiful eternity, starting here and extending forever, and defeats evil forever. All right, you with me? So we might... I mean, one way of approaching this is you just try to decipher all the symbols and so forth and you put together charts, uh, kind of like, like this one or maybe this one or maybe this one, but we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going um, to keep the main things that are the plain things and we're going to keep the plain things to be the main things, all right? And we're going to come up against all sorts of symbols and images today. Often, I'll admit, they are extreme and they're meant to be extreme, hyperbole, exaggeration, to make a point. They're exaggerated for effect, very vivid. We, we compared it last week to uh, like a World War II uh, image here, where you've got the, the, the Nazi monster coming across the land and freedom flying into the face of this monster. These images are there to encourage us and to reassure us and say it's worth the fight. Okay, so that, here we go. Now, from the battle that's happening in Revelation 13 and the difficulty and the challenges, we're taken to a completely different place where we get this vision of the people of God in chapter 14. Then I looked and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Here's an image and picture of the people of God. Yeah, I think there's probably some last days, last, last days uh, prophecy here, but it also is a picture of, of, of the people of God. The 144,000 is the perfect number. It's 12 times 12, which is the 12 apostles of 12 tribes times 1,000. You get 144,000. It's this perfect people of God. All of them are there uh, in their full fulfillment. And, uh, and they're, they're there before God and they're in the presence of God. And guess what? They don't have the mark of the beast that we learned last, uh, last weekend. They've got, the, they've got the Father's name written on their forehead. I don't think this is literal. I think this is this, is this reflection of, of God's character in our lives. Years ago, I walked into a, um, into, uh, I, I was a college student uh, in Indiana University. And I didn't have a, uh, an appointment, but I, I wanted to talk to somebody about financial aid. So I just stopped by the financial aid office. And I just walked in. I said, don't have an appointment. Can, you know, can I see somebody? And they say, yeah, go right down to room three. So anyway, I just walked down there. I walk into room three. There's this gentleman sitting there. Uh, and he just turns around in his chair and he looks at me straight in the face. He said, are you Jim Steef's son? And I said, yes, yes, I am. And he said, I knew it. I said, how did you know I was Jim Steve's son? And he said, because you look exactly like your father. He said, I was, um, I went to uh, 
to grade school with your dad. And we get together, we still have uh, reunions and I've seen him for all these years, but you look exactly like your father. And that's what this image is. They look just like the father. The people of God reflecting the character of God. It's written all over their faces. And, and, and that's what we want. That, that's what the promise is of God, that he's going to mark his image on our lives. He says, I heard the sound from heaven, like the ca- sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was like harpists playing on the harps. So you got this big contrast here. On the one hand, you got the overwhelming sound of, uh, of this waterfall, this in immense loud sound of this cascading waters like the roar of Niagara Falls or or some great falls and at the same time you've got the sound of of harps harpists playing on the harp what what is this this is what it's like to follow Jesus and this is what it's like to be in the presence of God on the one hand, it's, it's incredibly an adrenaline-pumping, kind of scary, amazing opportunity, and it really gets your heart charged up, but a little bit scary. On the other hand, in the presence of Jesus, there's this soothing, it's going to be okay. I got you. You got the thunder and the power and the waters coming down, and at the same time, you got the harps playing. It's just it's this incredible, that, that's what it's like to follow Jesus. And they sang a new psalm before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. Now we get the throwback to, to uh, way back in, in Revelations chapters 4 and 5, where the scene from heaven, where they're, they're before the throne of Jesus and before uh, the throne of God. And it says, no one could learn the song except the 144,000, the people of God who reflect the character of God, the fullness of God's people there before him. And they had been redeemed from the earth. Somehow God had, had redeemed them through the, the cross cross of Jesus. Been, the price had been paid for their sins uh, by Jesus on the cross. They've been redeemed. They've been bought out. And now they're rescued and redeemed. The price has been paid. And, and they sing in this song. And they're just praising God. And they're happy and they're joyful. And in the midst of the chaos, they're, they're singing the song. And no one knows this song except them. They're the only ones that can sing it. Well, what's this about? Why, why couldn't anybody else know the song? Well, here's, here's what I thought of. It's like, it's kind of like this. I remember the first time I, I went to like a college football game um, when, when it was at a school I'd never, you know, attended. I hadn't been a part of. And, and you go to a big football game, like a big stadium, uh, and, and they're all singing the fight song. I remember I went one time to uh, University of Nebraska when Nebraska had a football team uh, that was a little better. And, um, and I mean, there's, it was packed, so many people in the stands, and they're all singing the Nebraska fight song. And guess what? I don't know the song. See, no one can sing the song unless they're on the side of the team. But if you're on that team, you all know the song. You've learned the song. You get it. So I'm just watching. I, I, I'm not a Nebraska fan. I'm not a Cornhusker. So I'm just watching. And that's kind of what's happening here. They're on the team. They know the fight song. They know the song uh, that worships the Lamb. They're all together. They belong. They're on the team. And there's a unity and there's a power to that. Okay, keep going. They're the ones, it says, who have not defiled themselves with women since they remain virgins. Again, this is imagery, symbolism. It's not, I don't think it's to be taken literally here. What it's saying is that they've been faithful. The bride of Christ, the church, the people of God have been faithful 
to the one that they are, uh, they're connected to, the body of Christ, the groom who is Jesus Christ and the bride of Christ, and they've been faithful. They've not compromised. They've not indulged the things that the culture is telling them to do. They're not compromising their faith. They remain true and faithful and pure to the one that they are uh, promised to, and that is Jesus Christ. And they're the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. See, here's the summary of the whole Christian life in, in one verse, half a verse. Just follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We make it too complicated sometimes. It's just like Jesus is going there, you follow Him. Follow the Lamb. And the Lamb is the way. Remember the Lamb, the sacrificial life. The one who lays down his life for others, who spills his blood for the sake of others, for the love of others. That's what you do. You follow him. Whatever Jesus says, you just follow in those footsteps. It simplifies the Christian faith to that uh, extent. Uh, it says they were redeemed from humanity as the first fruits for God and for the Lamb. The first fruits are the best, the cream of the crop. And he says, of all humanity, these are the best ones, the ones who have devoted themselves, who follow the Lamb, who remain true and faithful, who know the song and are worshiping God. They're the ones who are faithful. It says, no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Didn't mean they were perfect, but it meant they had integrity and they're, they're honest. And this is, all of these descriptors are of what the people of God are to be like. So, all right, so we're going to get reassurance in this passage. And in the midst of all the things that are coming at us in our culture and the temptations that come at us, what are we called to do? And what would you do if you know you could not fail? If you're on the winning team, the thing you do is this. The first thing you do is you'd anticipate a spectacular future as Jesus' redeemed followers. You know, if I, if I follow him, I'm going to be okay. If I follow him, if I do what's right, if I remain blameless and true and faithful, he's going to see me through. And one day I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus worshiping him. But this isn't just for a far time in the future. This is for right now. There's a confidence that you can have. You can anticipate that God's going to have your back. I got you if you keep following me. Okay, keep going now. Verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every Nation, tribe, language, and people. So now we get this scene, and I think there's future events here, but just keeping it for the spiritual truths for today, is this gospel is going forth. Notice, notice it's called the eternal gospel. Did you get that? Eternal gospel. It means it's everlasting. It, it's not like your truth and you got a truth and I got a truth. No, there's an eternal gospel that, that uh, supersedes all of those, that is the real deal. That when all the other movements have come and gone, when all the other gods and goddesses have, uh, have lived in people's imaginations and then died, when all the other faiths have been proven wrong and they've fallen by the wayside over the last 2,000 years, there's one gospel that still remains. There's one good news, and that's of Jesus Christ. It's an eternal gospel. And this angel is announcing this gospel. I think this happens in the last days, but I also think it happens now through the church and the, the angelic powers are helping us to, to fulfill this mission we have to bring the good news to all people, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Those are our marching orders, guys. That's what we're after. And so it's giving this message out. And he said, he spoke with a loud voice. He's pleading with the inhabitants of the earth, which by the way, is, is kind of code in Revelation for unbelievers. Earth dwellers, inhabitants of the earth, is people who, are, who haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ. And he's pleading with them. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. 
That happens in the last, last days. But there's a pleading with people right now while there's still time. He says, fear God, turn to God. Don't be intimidated by culture that's pressuring to do, run after all these other stuff. Instead, fear the one true God, the living God who has created you, who made you in his image, who gave his son for you. Fear him, trust him, walk with him and give him glory. Don't be deceived by these other movements around you. Jesus is the real deal. God is the one true God because the hour of his judgment has come. There's gonna come a day when you, you don't give an account to the people over here or the people over here. You know, you give an account to God. And he says, worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. There are a lot of false um, idols in, in John's day. The Romans had hundreds and hundreds of gods and they pressured you to, to worship those. But there was one who made them, who put you together in your mother's womb and who made everything there is, all the things that we enjoy and love and, and are blessed by, they all came from the hand of the one true and living God. And this angel is pleading with people, I think through his people and through his church, to say, trust God, fear God, give him glory, because the day's coming, the judgment, it's here. And worship the one, turn to him. This is the first opportunity that the earth dwellers get to turn their lives around, to not pursue after all these other false ideologies and movements. He says, because the hour of judgment has come. Now, in this passage, we're going to see in just a few moments that there's a lot of judgment that happens. And, and, and you know, let's face it, 21st century uh, Western cultures, American cultures, a lot of people have a problem with the judgment of God, with the wrath of God, with the justice of God. You know, a few things to say about that. Number one is, uh, nobody really wants justice until they've been denied it. And then when they've been denied it, suddenly justice looks pretty good. And there's, there's people and throughout the history of the world who have been so unjustly treated. And we, we, got, the, we got people, through, Christians throughout the centuries who've been persecuted and martyred and so forth. And they're crying out, God, are you ever going to put down evil? Are you ever going to bring justice to the land? Are we just going to live permanently in, in an age, in an era of unjustness. And there's coming a day when God's gonna set all things right, when his justice and judgment are gonna come. So that's an great encouragement. You want the justice of God ultimately because otherwise we're stuck with evil forever. The other thing about God's justice and his wrath and judgment is that it's closely tied to his love. And a lot of people don't put that together. They say, wait, wait, wait love and wrath? against sin go together? Oh yeah. Here's one way for maybe you to picture it. Uh, in your own life, let's say God's blessed you with kids. He's blessed me with three kids um, and with two grandchildren. I love them. I really love them. And if anybody ever messes with them, if anybody wants to harm them, if anyone wants to do evil to them, if anyone wants to persecute them, you're going to have a reaction from me that I'm going to oppose that. I'm going to come hard after that. That's not because of hatred. That's because of love. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. And that's what God has. He has this holy, it's never, he's, when we think of the wrath of God, it's not God flying off the handle. It's not God losing control. It's not God blowing his stack. He has a steadied, absolute opposition to evil. 
And especially when it comes to protecting his children, his people. And when they've been persecuted, as it was happening in this first century, and when they've been martyred and his own people are crying out, how long, Lord, until you set this right? That was a prayer earlier from heaven, from the people who had been martyred. He says, there's a day coming because I love you and I will fairly, completely righteously bring judgment against that sin. God is not a God who can tolerate evil indefinitely. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. He'd be a tyrant. He'd be, he'd be out of control. He'd be, have no moral backbone whatsoever. And, and ultimately, guys, here, here's the thing that maybe, maybe, um, maybe just take this into your mind. God's wrath is ultimately giving people what they want. Ultimately, God eventually says, okay, you don't want me. You want to live separate from me. You want to do your own thing. You want to live without me in your, your world, in your life. Eventually, God says, okay, I'll let you have that. He, wrath is actually giving people what they want. And so um, just listen to this. I, I think you might have heard this verse before. Um, John 3, 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God loves people. He doesn't want them to perish. He wants them to have eternal life. And so he loved the world so much, he gave his own son on the cross for the world. But you can't stop at John 3, 16. You gotta go to 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's heart is to save people, to rescue people, to, to forgive them, to restore them, to, to have life everlasting and forgiveness and mercy and goodness forever and ever and ever. That's God's heart. And it says, John 3, 18, anyone who believes in it is not condemned. Hey, no condemnation, no more guilt, no more shame, free, clear, guilt-free, shame-free. It's awesome. It's amazing. But then it adds, and here's the key phrase, John 3, 18. But anyone who does not believe, you reject all this. You don't want this. You say, no, I don't want God. I don't want the cross. I don't want God's forgiveness. I reject that. He says, anyone who does not believe is is condemned, is, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. They're saying, I want that. So God says, okay, that, that leaves you outside. He goes, this, this is verse 19, John 3, 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. He has. And people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. You can read the rest of the chapter. There's people who says, I don't want that. I don't want the light. I don't want Jesus. I want my own stuff. I, I, I want the darkness because I, I love the evil that I'm doing. I want to remain in that. So I reject God. Get, God, get out of my life. And eventually God says, okay, you get what you want. And that's a separation from God. And that is, is hell. I mean, that is, that's, that's eternal separation from God. That's a weighty, heavy thing. But ultimately, wrath is, is says, God's not going to force himself on any person. He says, if that's what you want, then you're going to be separated from me forever. And guys, God is the source of everything that's good. 
and they'll be eternally separated from all that is good. So there's these warnings that come out. The first angel says, fear God, worship him, trust him. He made you, he loves you. And another angel, verse eight, followed. Second opportunity. It has fallen, Babylon the Great, which stands for all the world system and all the cultures in opposition from God. It's fallen, it's broken, it's messed up, it's evil, it's darkness. It's not going to do you any good. It's fallen. And eventually it will have a total fall and collapse. And everyone will see that then. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality. It was the paganism, the going their own way. I think it includes sexual immorality, but it's really just a general turn from spiritual unfaithfulness that, that, that leads people astray and oftentimes is seen in actual sexual practices. It's, it's, this brings the wrath of God because they're trusting in a system that is in darkness. They love the darkness rather than the light. So the angel is saying, don't trust Babylon. It's fallen, it's broken, it's evil. It's gonna lead you astray. Useless, doomed. Go a different direction. And then another third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice, pleading with people. If anyone worships the beast and the image, go last week if you missed last weekend. But it's about saying, I'm choosing the way of the world, the way of darkness, the way of the, the enemy, rather than the way of Jesus and the kingdom and of love and of mercy and goodness. He says, if anyone does that and, and, and receives the mark on the forehead and the hand, which you said symbolic of putting in your lot with that way, he says... Um, he, he's also going to drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. This is the consequence. If you reject and say, that's the way I want to go, you're going to experience this incredible wrath of God, which has given you what you want, and it's really not what you want. So he's pleading with him. One angel, two angel, three angel. But there's warnings all over the place. There, you ever see warning labels on products? It's like, don't do this. Be careful of that. This is what Revelation 14 is about. It's, it's lighting up this warning. Be careful. He says, it goes on even more. I mean, even more extreme. He will be tormented. Now, these are symbols, understand. With fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and the sight of the lamb and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. So these are very graphic, really extreme imagery. And the reason is, why does, why does poison have a skull with the crossbones on it? It's like, wow, wow, wow. It, it's a symbol in the imagery that gets your attention. Don't drink this. Don't eat this. It will kill you. And this, this is what these warnings are too. They're gonna, you're going to be tormented by this. The interesting thing is, note this, and a lot of people have had problems with these passages. One of the things is they, they think it's, it's saying tortured. Torment is what happens within you. That's the, 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 the feeling, the sense of separation that you have, this torment that goes on. Torture is what's done to you. Torment is what happens inside of you. And there's going to be eternal regret for people that say, I don't want the way of the Lamb. I want to follow this way. And God eventually gives them what they want. And there's just separation. Very vivid imagery, very uh, highly symbolic, but it's, it's real. It's warning of a real thing. Uh, years ago, um, my son Isaac and I went, on, uh, went to um, Cape Canaveral, the Kennedy uh, Space Center, and uh, we went and visited you know, the rocket um, 
uh, launch pads and everything. We actually saw the launch of, of, of a rocket. It was totally amazing. And I'll, I'll just show you this here. And guys, um, this is of another launch, not the one we saw. But, um, but guys, what we learned is we went down there. Do, do you know what? Before the launch, around the, the launch pad in, in, is a huge basin of where they pour a half a million gallons of water. All this steam and everything that you see coming up from this is just when the, when the rocket fuel ignites, all that water absorbs the sound and absorbs the impact of, the, of, of, that, of that explosion, really. And, and in, in, in like seconds, all half a million gallons of water are evaporated. And that's what you see in all this vapor. It's, 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 it's not really smoke, it's, it's, it's steam, all right? But it's immense and it's intense. Here's what they told us, though. Is that about weeks before the, the launch, especially a big launch like this, they, 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 for a mile around, they, they clear out all the animals and they, they put warning signs ever, everywhere. Don't be in this area. There's going to be a rocket launch. If you're in this area and you are, are out during the launch, you will die. And what kills people if they're in, in that area, which fortunately there haven't been people, is... Um, is the sound. It's so loud, it just kills them. It's hard for us to imagine that, but that's why there's these star, stir, stern warnings given. And God is showing his mercy and telling people, be careful of following this way. Be careful of rejecting the light of Jesus because ultimately it's going to lead to separation. Ultimately, it's going to lead to condemnation. Ultimately, it's going to lead to loss, eternal loss. So very, very graphic images. And um, keep going here. So it says, verse 12, this calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's command and their faith in Jesus. So he says, yeah, understand, in the end, God's going to right all the wrongs. But what this calls for us is to keep following Jesus. This calls for endurance from the saints. You just keep following Jesus. Keep his commands. Keep your faith. Keep trusting in Jesus. That's the encouragement. You're not going to fail. God's going to take care of that. The, 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 the world may press against you. You may feel fresher to compromise. But guess what? I got you covered. I'm going to take care of that. In the end, it's going to be amazing. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, right? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Interesting. He basically saying, if, even if they kill you, you're good. Even if it costs you your life, you're blessed. What's the worst they can do to you? you know, so the worst thing you can do to me is kill me, right? I mean, that's the worst thing that, that the enemies of God can come against and do to me. They can kill me. And guess what? If they kill me, it's absolutely the best day of my life. It's the best day of my life. Because I'm in the presence of Jesus. I, I, I die in the Lord. And I enter an eternity that's glorious and spectacular and amazing. So blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. It's like, don't worry. The worst they can do is kill you. And then it's the best day of your life. Yes, says the Spirit. So they will rest from their labors. And all the hardships and the difficulties, they're all, they're all behind you now. And it says, since their works follow them, their works will be known in heaven. And guess what? The works that we do on earth will continue to have impact 
on this place long after we leave. But it'll be our faithfulness to Jesus that stands out to people. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? What would you do? You would keep following Jesus. Here's the second principle. Um, Faithfully endure no matter what. You are blessed and you will be blessed. Now, last weekend I mentioned to you guys um, that... uh, that um, m- one of the weird things that happened in not in my life, but my sister's life, uh, actually my stepsister Jody, she was um, she was actually kidnapped by by this guy, this serial killer. Okay, B- bad guy, mean-looking guy, and she escaped from him. However, uh, he was a fugitive. He was stealing cars. He was killing people and stealing cars and so forth. He he uh, had a gun. He he took her in in a, in her own car, uh, and they went out on the interstate and started driving away. And, uh, and she didn't know who this guy was, but he was on you know, the most wanted list. And uh, guys, um, so they drive away. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know all the history of what he's been doing. She knows he's not a good guy because he has a gun. And um, so they, they eventually, um, they pull into a gas station. This is way back in the 80s. And they still have self ser- uh, full serve then. So the guy fills up the gas tank. And the, this guy, his, his name's Jackson. He, uh, his last name. And he... Um, He's, uh, he, he drives off without paying. And, um, and now, of course, they're going to call because it's a drive off without paying for gas. And so my sister is thinking, you know, this isn't going to go down well. Now they call the police. They have the license number. There's going to be a high-speed car chase. It's going to end in a fiery crash, some kind of hostage situation, or a gunfight. None of those seem good to me. So you know what she did? He's going up the ramp to get back on the interstate. She bailed out the side door. She just fell out of a moving car. She broke her leg, but he just kept on going. And eventually he was killed in in a standoff with police. Why did I tell you all that story? She waited out and she said, you know, going this direction with this evil guy isn't good. It's not going to end well. Jumping out of the car of a moving car isn't the most pleasant thing you ever did, but it's a whole lot better than going this direction with this guy. And so she waited out. She's an EMT. She's quick on her feet. She thinks about stuff and she had thought it through and she says, I'm bailing. And she did. And she made it back to safety and she was fine. She was, she, she, she made it back and it was a scary deal. But here's the thing. You know what? They got all this stuff. What, what's the worst that could happen? If you stick with that route, this is going to lead to destruction. He said, but yeah, this might, there might be some suffering. There might be some hardship. There might be some difficulty. But weigh it out. The worst they can do, he says, you're blessed no matter what. The worst they can do is kill you, right? So lots here in this passage. If you'd like to learn more about the symbolism of, of this, what we've already covered or what's to come, please come to Digging Deeper on Monday night. Um, in the chapel at 6.30, and we're going to talk about these beasts, the redeemed, these three angels, and the final harvest. All right, let's keep going. Then I looked, and there was a white cloud, and one like the Son of Man, which is a picture of the Messiah in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man is this messianic ruler that God's promised to come. It's Jesus. He was seated on a cloud. It's his heavenly vision now with a golden crown on his hand and a sharp sickle in his hand. The sickle is for harvest. This is about a harvest. Another angel came out of the temple crying out in a loud voice, the one who was seated on a cloud, use your sickle and reap for the time to reap has come since the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the 
the one seated on the throne swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Now, I, I think this is a harvest of the last, last days, but I also think the harvest comes all the time. The harvest has been happening for 2,000 years. I mean, Jesus said to the disciples, look, the harvest is ripe. It's white unto harvest. Now's harvest time. And there's opportunities and there's moments when people have opportunities to come to Jesus, when they trust in Jesus. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you hear this and you say, I want to trust in Jesus. So he's come. And he comes and he wants, to, he wants to harvest. He wants you to be a part of his people. So the harvest here, the first harvest, is of the people of God. And Jesus comes and he takes his people to himself. And he loves us. He makes us part of his forever family. Now and in the last, last days and for eternity. That's this amazing harvest that Jesus does. Then there's a second harvest. This one, it's sobering. Then another angel who had a sharp sickle came out of the temple in heaven. Yet another angel who had authority over fire came from the altar and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Use your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes from the vineyard of the earth because its grapes have ripened. Many times in the, in the Old Testament, this grape harvest is, is a picture of, of the judgment of God. I mean, you know, the grapes of wrath. You know, this uh, historic uh, novel, uh, incredible novel, um, comes from, from this chapter, The Grapes of Wrath. So the angel swung a sickle at the earth and gathered the grapes from the vineyard of the earth, and he threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. Then the, the press was trampled outside the city, not within the people of God, not within the city of God, and blood flowed out of the press up to the horses' bridles for about 180 miles. I mean, this is an intense imagery. Guys, remember, symbolism, not literal, but incredible symbolism to say, and, and, and this is blood that is flowing. The whole length, really 180 miles, is the entire length of palace of, of Israel, the land of Israel. And, um, and, and so it's like this incredible, uh, this incredible judgment of God. And, and the picture of God's you know, it's even in the Battle Hymn of the Republic of God, the, the grapes of wrath and God stamping out his, his, his judgment is, is that finally God stomps out evil entirely. Think of all the, the, the mess and the trauma and the evil and the, the, the pain and the misery and the suffering and the death that has come because of Satan and the fall of humanity into his ways. It's just made a mess of things. And the comfort we have is, in the end, God will win his victory. He will completely stomp out evil. There will be absolute eradication of evil in the last, last days. And so what would you do if you knew that's the way it's going to end? Well, for, uh, principle number three, you would reevaluate your entire life in light of this harvest. You're like, okay, what harvest do I want to be in? Do I want to be in the harvest of God taking his people to himself forever? Or do I want to be the harvest of evil where there's this, uh, there's this separation from God and there's this stamping out of evil forever. Um, you know, in, into the midst of this very intense imagery, I want to give you a, a cartoon from Charles Schultz, Peanuts. And um, the, the little girl says here to Charlie Brown, I memorized the Bible verse we were supposed to memorize for Sunday. And he asked, what verse? I, I don't know. Now you made me forget. And then she says, maybe it was something Moses said or or something from the book of reevaluation. And then Charlie Brown says, forgetting is not always a bad thing. 
She means book of revelation, but she mistakenly calls it book of reevaluation. But actually, she's pretty close. The book of Revelation is a great moment for us to pause and reevaluate and say, how's my life going? Where's the course of my life? And it's a time, if you've never come to faith in Jesus, to take a serious, hard look. Because, yeah, there's a lot of imagery in here, but it's, it, and, and it's not literal, but it's made to pack a point home that there are sobering, eternal consequences for just turning your back from the light and, and, and saying no to God. And ultimately, God gives people what they want. And so he's calling us to reevaluate our lives and say, what really matters to me? And then it ends with this. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. Seven angels with seven last plagues. We'll get to those in the weeks, in next week. Uh, for with them, God's wrath will be completed. This is coming to an end. And I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those, I love this, those who had won the victory over the beast, its image and the number of its name were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They're worshiping God. Again, this intense presence of God, but also this peaceful, incredibly serene. We're in the presence of God. And I believe this is in eternity, but it's now. It's the people of God who, who have experienced the presence of God. And look how it ends. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. And here's what they sang. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. He is just. He will stomp out evil. True are your ways. Even though sometimes we have a hard time with some of these images, ultimately God stands for truth and what's right. King of the nations. Lord who will not fear and glorify your name. Of course, we want to follow you. We respect you. We have to offer you. And we want to glorify you, bring you glory. For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because of your righteous acts have been revealed. In light of eternity, in light of knowing that if you follow Jesus, you cannot lose. You will ultimately win. You cannot fail. What would you do? Principle number four. You worship the king who is just and true and holy and righteous. You say, I'm following the way of Jesus. It's the way that triumphs in the end. There's a lot of imagery I don't understand completely. You don't understand completely. But fortunately, we learned last week, I'm not on the planning committee for the second coming of Christ. I'm on the welcoming committee. It's not my job to figure out all these things and how it's all gonna work. But ultimately, I know this. I read the back of the book, and we'll get there eventually, and we win. The people of God triumph. Um, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? You'd have this confidence and you'd have this reassurance. You'd anticipate a spectacular future. You'd faithfully endure with Jesus. You reevaluate your entire life from time to time. You'd look and see, how's my life going? Am I arcing in the right direction? And lastly, you'd worship the king because he's worthy. Um, guys, um, there's an author named Nancy Guthrie. And she wrote an incredible book on the book of Revelation entitled Blessed. And here's what she said. The first servants of Jesus who heard what is written in Revelation were believers around um, uh, Asia Minor in the first century. It was exactly what they needed to hear in their day. But it wasn't just what they needed to hear. John wrote it down for every believer in every century since then. 
It has always been exactly the truth believers need to hear. The realities believers need to see. It shows us, and she writes it this way, the opposition we can expect to escalate, the endurance we need to cultivate, the judgment we will celebrate, the victory in which we will participate. The enemy Jesus will annihilate, the sorrow he will alleviate, alleviate, the creation he will regenerate, the marriage he will consummate, and the eternal home we can anticipate. And she says, that's what I call blessed. But I couldn't just stop there. I had to end it on this. This is what I wrote. So what has God promised us in this passage who trust in Jesus now and for all eternity? Well, let me once reiterate that our sins he did propitiate and at the cross eliminate. Our witness he'll exonerate from guilt and shame he'll liberate and from all our pain it'll disintegrate with joy. You can't exaggerate. And Satan, Christ will devastate your, uh, he, the demons he'll humiliate, the darkness will disintegrate, and from our graves he will reactivate your life, he will resuscitate by resurrection, dominate. Our status then he'll elevate, with all the saints we'll congregate, and all the nations he'll integrate. Our sin and death he'll terminate. From his love he'll never separate. And on that day will emanate great glory he'll illuminate. Love will overcome the hate. Good will triumph on that date. And the gospel will reverberate. Forever we will celebrate. And every tongue will consecrate Jesus Christ as Lord. Father, speak to the people through this message, through this incredibly powerful passage and make an impact on every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless y'all.